0: Last Lord's Day, we dealt with the people to whom the child would come and the places that Isaiah speaks of here and other passages that prophesy in regards to that. This morning, it's about the sovereignty or about the reign that is spoken of here, the kingship of the child. Isaiah chapter 9 Once again, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shown. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. will do this. Thus far, as the reading of God's word. I invite you to keep the passage open before you this morning. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this word. And Lord, we are so amazed that years and years before things happen, when you say it will happen, it happens. You are outside of time. You see the past, the present the future and when you say it will happen it already has because you made it so we pray lord that you will be with pastor bob as he teaches us about jesus and his sovereignty and lord may we be humbled by it because it is who you are and may we meditate on these things this we pray in jesus name amen and amen We look at three things in regards to the sovereignty of the child that is mentioned here in Isaiah chapter 9. First of all, the warfare that is indicated. Secondly, the government that is established. And thirdly, the zeal is the means by which this takes place. So the coming of Christ, the coming of the child is spoken of here in Isaiah 9 in terms of warfare and oppression, in terms of warriors, in terms of garments being rolled in blood. We have here a picture of a conflict that is taking place. Isaiah, through the Spirit, is backing the story way up. He's looking here not only at the present, at the future, but he is certainly looking into the past. For this conflict that is being spoken of here in Isaiah chapter 9 begins already for us back in the third chapter of Genesis. After Adam and Eve fall, commit sin, go against that which God has commanded, the effects of that fall immediately begin to take place. There is now conflict in the world. Where there was once peace, where there was once harmony, now conflict begins to emerge. The conflict takes place not only from the ground itself, conflicting us and the thorns, but the conflict is also one that takes place between individuals. As we see Adam and Eve tossing the blame back and forth to one another. But there is also the, the greater conflict that is indicated here in Genesis chapter 3. That between the created and the creator. Adam is hiding. Adam is filled with shame. There is guilt over that which has happened and taken place. Things are not the way they were. They used to walk together in the garden. Now Adam hides from the Lord in the garden. The responsibility that was given and placed upon Adam's shoulders to rule and to reign has now come into conflict with the realities of sin. God now enters the scene, and he levels out his judgment, his judgment upon Eve for that which she has done, his judgment upon Adam for that which he has done. But he also issues his judgment upon the serpent, upon Satan himself for that which he has done. And there in that 15th verse of the third chapter of Genesis, we have the conflict, the true conflict that is taking place within this world even today. The conflict between the seed of the woman and the serpent. This is why there is conflict here. In the midst of the announcement of the coming of Christ, there is conflict in the midst of the story that comes to us in Matthew chapter 1 of the birth of Jesus Christ, there is conflict. In the announcement, in the beauty of Luke chapter 2, there is conflict. Conflict because this is what sin has brought into the world. And so Isaiah is not sweeping this under the rug. He is not painting for us just some sort of beautiful Hallmark card that somehow looks only at the beauty of Christmas. But now he's showing us there is the ugly side of Christmas as well. Christmas is filled with conflict. And this passage is a reminder then of not only that conflict that we have in this world, but also the spiritual conflict that we have with the Lord. But the good news is, the announcement is, that the child that is coming, the child that is to be born, the child that is to be given, that is announced in verse 6, is going to break the oppressor. This bondage that is over the world, this bondage that is over our lives, is going to be broken. And the language that... The Spirit leads Isaiah to use here is a reminder of previous times in Israel's history in which they have had to deal with bondage. It's the pitcher, the oppressor, is the language of Pharaoh as the people of Israel are enslaved for those 400 years under that bondage. And even as God delivered his people, through the hand of Moses, there in the book of Exodus, so the child will break the oppressor, Satan himself. There is the picture here that is used and references given to us of Midian. You might say, what's this got to do with the story, this this whole stuff of Midian? You have broken, as verse 4 says as on the day of Midian. It is the reference to the story of Gideon, where the Midianites have come up against the Israelites, and they are thought of, or they are described, I should say, as occupying a valley, and they are like sand as the seashore. They are like locusts that have come upon the people of Israel to do battle. And if you recall that event Gideon He's not called to bring forth his army of some 30,000 men. As if the army of 30,000 had a chance against this huge force of Midianites and other nations that have gathered. But no, the Lord whittles that number down so that Gideon is left with simply his band of 300 men against this whole host of Midian. And yet the Lord delivered his people. The Lord broke the oppression of the Midianites. The Israelites had been in bondage to these Midianites. And yet the Lord broke it in in inconceivable ways. So much so that the Israelites are able to scoop up all of the loot that is left behind. As on that day when God delivered his people from the bondage of Midian. God shall deliver his people from the bondage of their oppressor. The bondage to Satan, to death, to sin. The bondage to the forces of evil that hold this world captive. How? For to us, a child is born. This is God's means of breaking the oppressor. If we, tur- if we turn to Psalm 83, verses 9 through 11, we, we read there of the psalmist who is most likely a contemporary of Isaiah at that time, referencing once again this story of Gideon. This is one of those things that went down in history. This is one of the things that the Israelite people remember. Oh, they remember the plagues upon Egypt and God's deliverance from Pharaoh. They remember God's deliverance from the bondage to Midian. This too. This coming of this child is going to be that which God's people remember and celebrate with joy. This is where the yoke of the oppressor, our true oppressor, is going to be broken. Another reference to this section, this opening section that deals with the warfare. Notice how it ends, verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. I'm always struck when I watch old war movies or old war documentaries of the marching, of hearing those boots march On pavement. Some of you were in occupied areas. Some of you were, for example, in the Netherlands during the time of the occupation. You probably remember, not with very pleasant thought, the sound of the the soldier marching through your little village as those German armies invade. We, We hear it, that constant. We see it on our news today, don't we? Whenever Russia has some big celebration, there come those tanks and those artillery. And then come those soldiers marching in step. We see it when we, we watch what happens sometimes in China and we hear those boots upon that pavement. The same is being said here. They are being reminded of the sound Of the invading force. But the promise here of verse 5 is this. All the attire and all the weapons of their opponents are going to be destroyed. Their enemies will fall before them. And all these garments and weapons of war instead of being used for the purpose of war against God's people, will become fuel for the fire. The benefit for the blessing of God's people. It is a picture of the fact, yes, there is warfare. Yes, there is an oppressor. But the child who is going to come is going to break this oppression so that there shall be peace. Peace. To us, child, is born. How will this happen, Isaiah? When will this take place? Isaiah ministering at a time when the great empires of Assyria and Babylon are rising up against God's people. Soon to give way to to the Medes and the Persians, soon to give way to the Greeks, and soon to give way to the Romans. Here comes the promise. The oppressor will be defeated by the child that is born. A Glorious message. And then Isaiah, through the Spirit, begins to destroy. Describe for us the reign of this child. As this child breaks the oppressor. As this child breaks the yoke of bondage that we are in. There is a rule and a reign that is described. Look with me at verse 6. The reference, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What does that mean? What does it mean that the government shall be upon his shoulder? It means that the rule, the control, is going to be that which he bears. Don't be thinking here of the cross. Don't be thinking of the wooden cross that's placed upon his shoulders that is born to Calvary. That is not the picture that is given to us here. This is the picture of the one who rules and reigns. Keep your finger here at Isaiah chapter 9. And go with me to Isaiah chapter twenty two. Isaiah chapter twenty two. We're going to start at verse twenty, another prophetic word of the Lord through Isaiah. Isaiah 22 20. In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and will bind your sash on him, and will commit your authority to his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him with a peg to a secure place. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. And they will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house. The offspring and issue every small vessel from the cups to all the flagons. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a secure place will give way. And will be cut down and fall. And the load that was on it will be cut off for the Lord Has spoken. You talk about a prophecy. See, in the time of Isaiah and in the time of Christ, it was typical that those who bore the emblem of the nation, whether it be Assyria, whether it be Babylon, whether it be Greece or Rome, would carry that flag upon their shoulders. There was a special place on their shoulders, in their armor, for that flag to be carried. That flag, that ensign, that was a sign of the authority and of the power and of the might of the empire. On his shoulder, on the shoulder of this child, shall be placed the sign of all authority. And then there's that beautiful follow-up, is there not, in Isaiah 22 about the peg that holds him shall come down and his rule and his authority shall be known everywhere. For to us a child is given. The government, the rule, the absolute rule, the absolute reign, the sovereignty over all things shall be born by him. Now go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1. but also in the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is the Apostle Paul seeing? And on his shoulders, down on his shoulders, that this child, this Emmanuel, this God with us, Who is going to be born. He's not only going to be the one who is going to break the oppressor. Break the bondage of sin and Satan. But he is also the one who is going to rule sovereignly over all things. The Lord will place everything under His feet, for you see, the peg did not hold him. And in his resurrection, all power, all authority, and the crushing of Satan, the oppressor, has taken place. So that he is given a name that is above every name. What a beautiful prophecy is given to us here. What reason for joy and celebration is ours. That this child would upon his shoulders be the government. But notice what else about this government. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is a constant growing rule. This this is the amazing truth that, that especially you and I need to know in this day and age when it looks like and appears like the forces of evil are that which are gaining. The government of Christ only increases. The rule of Christ only increases. It never, never, never decreases. Not one that you have given to me, Father, is lost. But the kingdom of Satan, the domain of the evil one, is constantly, daily, daily losing. Numbers by the hundreds, by the thousands, are lost from the grip of Satan. And come under the rule and reign of Christ. See, we need to stop looking too small. We look at a a small little corner of the world and we say, that small corner is representation of the whole world. And God says, no, that is not true. Look about you. See what I am doing through Christ who has broken the oppressor. We only grow. It only expands. You see, someday, there shall be no more sin. What is that telling you? But of the final, of the complete, absolute rule and reign of Christ over all. My friends, that's not just in terms of that expansion. It's here too. See, the rule of Christ is constantly growing in the heart of every single believer. It's not just Christ as it were, defeating the forces of evil out there. It's Christ defeating the forces of evil in here. In my heart, in my mind, daily, daily, Christ rules. That's what's true for you. That's what's true for me. This is the glorious good news of the gospel. We are not defeatist. We are not fatalist. We see the victory in Christ. When we see ourselves, we say with Paul, Oh, what a wretched man I am. But thanks be to God who gives me the victory. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this rule, this government, is a rule of righteousness. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. How? With justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. This is the just and righteous rule of Christ. The holy rule of Christ. Turn over from Isaiah chapter 9 to Isaiah chapter 11. Here, Isaiah gives to us perhaps an even more full, in-depth prophecy in regards to that. Isaiah chapter 11 There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. What a beautiful picture of the reign of Christ. No collusion, no bribery. No injustice. To know that in the kingdom of Christ, righteousness, that which is perfect, that which is holy, is that which reigns. That's why, as I I referenced earlier, there can be no sin. In glory. For the righteous reign of Christ drives out sin. See, this is is what we need to realize in terms of that rule of Christ of our own hearts. It is Christ's righteousness that dwells in us. Is Christ robes that cover us? Why do we guard that which we say from our lips? Because of the righteousness of Christ that rules our hearts. Why don't we use vulgarities every other word when we're making a post or sending out a tweet? Because the rule of Christ. Why is it we strive to be in God's word? Because of the rule of Christ. Why is it that we as husbands and fathers ought to have a desire and a burning passion to lead our families in the truth of God's word? Because of the rule of Christ. His righteousness rules our hearts. Why do we desire to live a holy life apart from all of the sexual garbage of this world because of the rule of Christ upon our hearts why do we desire that others come to a saving knowledge of Christ because of the righteous rule of Christ that burns within us with a desire and a passion that others come to know Christ whether they be the neighbor across the street or whether they be the aborigine in Australia whether they be the Communist in China, we desire they come to know. Why? Because there is the burning righteousness of Christ within our souls. See, there's a lot in here, isn't there? The increase of his government shall be no end. For he rules with justice and righteousness. This is what Christ does in our heart. Third point zeal, the zeal of the Lord of host will do this. Zeal refers to an intense desire. The intense desire of the Lord Almighty is that His Son rule. And reigns. The desire. Of the Lord of hosts. Is that the child. Of Bethlehem. Have all things placed under his feet. For this is the law the Father for the Son. Nothing is going to keep him from fulfilling his desire. But you see, it's not only a desire for his Son. It's a desire for those who belong to the Son as well. The zeal ardent the fervent passion and love of god almighty to establish the kingdom of his son the passion the love of god almighty for you and i for we belong to the son and that which belongs to the son is loved of god As the Son is loved. We are the gift. That God Almighty is preparing to give to His Son. We are the bride of Christ. That God desires to give to His Son. Out of love. Nothing will keep the Lord from fulfilling and accomplishing his purpose. Nothing will hold him back. Nothing will interfere with that. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will do this. It will take place. It is taking place. It's going to take place. You part of it? You part of it? See, the zeal of the Lord Almighty to accomplish the purpose of forming for himself a people, a bride, to be given to his son as a gift. The Lord says, I invite you to be a part. Of this. I invite you as the bride. To be a part of this. Do you have a zeal. To see. The kingdom of Christ. Grow. Expand. Your heart? Is that a desire of yours? You making use of all the means that God gives to you to do that? Taking all the opportunities God lays before your feet each and every moment, each and every day, each and every week. The reign of Christ might grow in your heart and in your life? Are you taking every opportunity that God gives to you as a member of Little Farms to grow, to build, to expand the kingdom of Jesus Christ? For He calls us into fellowship. Go and be my witnesses. He calls His church to shine brightly. It's a city set on a hill. You want to see the kingdom of God at little farms blow out the walls? Or do you want to keep it a holy little huddle? You want to see the kingdom of God usurp the authority and power of a communist regime. We want to see the kingdom of Christ enter in to the nations of this world and to overthrow pagan belief, pagan thought, godless society in order that the rule and reign of Christ might come. then I'd urge you, my friends, make that the passion of this season. Go for it with the zeal that the Lord himself seeks and will and does accomplish today. And forever and ever and ever and ever. And God's people say.